Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Hope everybody's having a fantastic week. Last week we uh, started sharing about our lost language of worship and uh, going through this, and I had the privilege of having lunch with a member of our church, and uh, they wanted to share, they expressed a testimony that happened in their life. A little while ago, I was speaking about declaring the word of your life, and they had a setback at work, and uh, not to, to, to say anything was bad or anything was, it just happens. You know, sometimes work just decides to do what work wants to do. And even when you do everything right, Sometimes your boss makes a decision, and uh, it is what it is. And so we're sitting there talking, and we're walking through it, and they were describing that how they didn't do anything wrong, but they got called into the office, and they were told by the boss they were going to get more or less demoted. Uh, Cut and pay, cut and everything, cut and position. And they sat with the boss, and they go, what did I do wrong? You know what the boss said? Nothing. Didn't do anything wrong. Not a thing. And uh, we're going through this, and he's like, you know, I, I kept my attitude the best I could. How many understand sometimes that doesn't mean it was perfect 100%, but the best you can when you can. And he said, you know, Pete, you spoke, and I began to decree that word of my life, that things are going to get back in alignment. Things that were stolen are going to come back. And, I, and he just, started, just uh, tells me at that lunch that he's back to his original position, has met with the boss. They tried other people to fill the spot. Other people failed. And the boss goes, come on in. The spot's yours again. And so I believe that God's doing something in the midst of, of chaos in the world. Amen? I'm so happy we've had back-to-back testimonies that have been taking place. And I'm excited to see what God's doing in your life. Um, and let us know. I love good news. We have enough bad news. Don't we? Man, just stay off your phone. Stay off the television. Because right now, no news is good news for a lot of y'all. And, uh, yeah, we're tired of bad news. I believe that God's doing a new thing. Amen? We were singing that song... Um, the rains come, and my house was built on you. And, and there's a part in that verse that I've never really noticed, but it has the idea of once they saw the rains, they were excited. They, they saw the rains, and they were ready, because they knew, no matter what, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. I got a quick word for somebody today, and, and that is this, is that the obstacles that you're facing are not to crush you. They're not to crush you. I remember as a kid, we used to love uh, monkey bars, and we used to love playgrounds. We used to, man, you see your kids now, and they've got an uh, inflatable obstacle course or bounce house. It's the best thing in the world. You get $200 and an inflatable pump with a, the bounce house, and you can take the weekend off. They're just nonstop. And it seems to me, like when we used to do our family days, our, our end of the year ones, we had that big, long, you remember that? The big, long, inflatable obstacle course that went all the way down the gym. And I'd watch young and old alike try the obstacle course. <laughs> he did it. And you know what's sad? He did it better than me. So, um, you know, you'd see that happen. And, and I was reminded, to, you know, of that, that big, huge, inflatable obstacle course. Kids love obstacles. Kids love the idea of climbing over something, running through something, 
and dodging something. You know how I know that? Watch my, my son at Target, and he decides to smack you, and you start doing these little invisible sword things, and he's ducking and dodging and doing barrel rolls in the middle of the, of the Target aisle. Kids love obstacles. When did we stop being kids? Because now we're looking at life with obstacles as it's God against us instead of something to jump over. And I don't know what you're going through, but I, I feel like right now, and, and I can be honest with you, and you can ask Pastor Alan and Marsha, the past three weeks of my life have been just hilariously horrible. I posted something on Facebook about uh, the money pit, and he's just, everything's falling apart, and he's just laughing. That's kind of been my tenure so far as senior pastor. Um, and, but it's been so much full of peace because I'm realizing in my life, you ready for this, is not, not every obstacle is meant to crush you. It's encouraging that you can still jump. How do you know you can still lift the weight unless you're under it? How do you know you can still run the same speed unless you time yourself? And what I'm telling you today is this, is that God is putting th- people into place not to hurt you, but to help you see where you really are in life. Because he doesn't test you to know. He already knows. But you're the one that doesn't know. I don't know how strong I am until I get underweight. And today, whatever's going on at work, in relationships, and health, whatever's going on, I want you to hear me when I say this. Don't stop being a kid. Don't stop enjoying the obstacles. Don't stop going through this motion. You know, there is a, 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 a message that a wise, way more wise than I am man spoke. And he was talking about people who age out of church. Yeah, age out of church. And this is what he says. No one ages out of church because they naturally hit a specific age, but because they spiritually hit a specific age. So this man in his 80s, describing what it's like to get older. And one of his biggest things is that when I sit down, I don't want to get back up again. And he was talking about how every time I go to move, I have to think before I do something because I lose that flexibility. He said, everything that's loud bothers me. He said, things that used to be great and fun, and I used to laugh at the grandkids, now I see them, and I get annoyed. He goes, messes and chaos aggravate me. He's going through this whole thing, and he goes, you know what's the worst thing about getting old? Is you lose your eyesight. And so he starts bringing this back. But one of the worst things when people age out of church is this, is that they stop having vision for their lives in other places. They hate the obstacles of life that are before them because they, they don't want to get up and exercise or do anything. And they despise new sounds. And this is the thing that we're looking at. God's doing something new. In the world, globally, he's doing something new. Don't age out. Don't age out, amen? Well, God, we thank you for this day, for this time together. We worship your holy name. God, I thank you that today is a day that you have made to be pliable and understanding your word and your way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The past two weeks, we've had a great time talking about lost languages. Today, uh, uh, curl your toes. Because uh, I don't want I don't, to I don't crush anybody's toes today. I just need you to start off with this. Is that everything that we talk about that may be comfortable or uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's always about you. And if it hurts, it probably is. So, on Thursday, uh, I, I had the wonderful opportunity to take my two kids over to my sister's house to have dinner. Um, 
we went over to Ingram's, picked up some food, brought it to her house, and we sat there and had lots of laughs and cut up. And if you saw my Facebook video or Instagram of, of, of Heidi trying to blow a trumpet and Malachi trying to teach her, it was hilarious. Um, but you know what was weird? The seats were empty. The kids were gone. Two kids are in Tuscaloosa. One's working and living in Birmingham. And somebody would make a comment, and I instinctively would look at the chair where Tyler would sit, and his comments weren't there. My daughter would do something, I'd look for Nathan, and he wasn't there, and Heidi's blowing the trumpet, and I'm waiting to hear Savannah's laugh, and it wasn't there. And I realized in that moment on Thursday that it's weird how a chair will speak. Today we come into sit in these pews and these chairs and all these wonderful things and they're comfortable and they're, they're padded and they're colorful and they're nice. But that wasn't historically how churches used to do things. A long time ago, there was only a handful of people that actually could sit in a pew. You know why they sat in the pew? They paid for the pew. Back in the day, there was uh, people that would stand for the entire church services because they didn't have a place to sit. And those who sat in the pew is because they bought their pew. They gave money to the church and they owned that pew. And, and that pew spoke. And it spoke that they did something to earn that seat. And what takes place in, in that entire time is that they could be gone, but everybody know that's Miss Elaine's seat. She may not be there, but everybody knows whose seat that is. Yo, know, I'm a, the pastor of the church and I made the mistake of putting my stuff in Elaine's seat. And she well just slid it to the side because that's Elaine's seat. You don't have to speak. You don't have to say nothing, but you know whose seat that is. They ain't got to be there to, to, to decree and declare their seat. You just know that's whose seat that is. The past few weeks, the past week, I ordered uh, some tickets for an Alabama game. I'm going to take my kids and my mom to a, an Alabama game. Um, and, uh, yeah, sorry, Dad. Um, and uh, <coughs> how many understand not all tickets are equal? Do y'all know that they're all the exact same size? And they're the same color. Dad, do you know they all have the exact same bolts? And if you sit in the nosebleeds, or you sit on the 50-yard line. So right above my head, you guys are seeing ticket prices right now for uh, an Austin PV game. This is a high school team. If you go to the G section, which is on the Alabama side, 50-yard line tickets, you can see that in row 11, tickets are $108 a piece. Now, for those of you who don't know, a 50-yard line ticket at an Alabama game, that's a good deal. But how many of you understand, not all seat prices are the same? Because when you look at it in a couple of weeks, you'll see that some seats that were 108 are now a little bit more. How much is the next one? Because the next ticket that was for A&M is $1,960 for a same section Worst seat. Not all seats 
are equal. Not all prices of those seats are the same. The ones that are almost $2,000 aren't more comfy than the ones that are $100. You can get to $20 for that Austin PV game. Up in the very, very tip top, it's the exact same seat as if you're on G section. But what's taken place is that the $2,000 seat is $2,000 because somebody put that value on that seat. Somebody said that my seat's worth two grand. And you know what's crazy? Somebody will pay it. It's the exact same team, playing on the exact same field. It's the exact same view. It's the exact same coach. The exact same band. Same food. The only difference is, is that one person values their seat at 2,000 and the other person values their seat at 100. I guess what I'm saying is, is that when seats are empty, they speak. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, and then again in verse 18, it says, Then David fled from Nareth and, and Ramah to, and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before my father? He seeks my life. At this moment, David is running from his father-in-law, Saul, and he's meeting with his son, Jonathan. And Jonathan says, By no means! You shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, great or small, without telling me first. And why should my father, father hide these things? It's just not so. And David said, David took an oath and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he says, Don't let Jonathan know these things, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Wherever you find yourself, Desire, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is a new moon. And I should not fail to sit with the king to eat, but let me go that I may hide in the fields until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city. For there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. Verse 18 says, Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon. And you'll be missed because your seat is empty. It was a sad sight for Jonathan to sit there and see that his friend David's seat was empty. Not only because of Jonathan's love for David, but because the reason that his seat was empty. It wasn't because David didn't feel like it. It was because David felt that if he shows up, he would die. Because history has proven that Saul wanted to kill David. And Jonathan would sit and eat and see a seat. Jonathan would sit and eat and see something was empty. And the entire time, David's words are ringing in his ear, and Jonathan's waiting for his opportunity to tell his dad what David's seat is speaking. Jonathan takes his moment, and in a rage, Saul then decides to try to kill Jonathan in that moment. Because David's seat spoke. Today I want to talk to you about some empty seats, not in the home, but right here in our church. And no, this is not going to be a feel bad for the preacher because he only likes it when the pews are full. I'm going to speak the same way whether it's two or two thousand. But this is a moment that we can get honest with God. And I know that God will fill the seats with or without anybody that's in here today. But it is sad when someone's seat changes names. 
As we see the secularization of the world, and especially in America, we can see that the number of people identifying as Christians is steadily declining. As you can expect, church attendance across the nation has shrunk. And the, the graph that's above my head is from 2019, so this is pre-COVID numbers. Right now, 44% of professing, believing Christians in America say they go to church every week. 44% of believing evangelical Christians. You can see 18% say they show up twice a month or every other week. But the next number startles me. Or 38% of those who say that they are actively in love with God and our servants, 38 say they, they seldom, if never, even come to church. Leave that up for a little bit, guys. Thank you. As we see what's taking place in the world, these statistics should frighten Christians. What's happened? Well, another things have happened. And again, we don't have the new data yet because this is pre-COVID. This is 2019. So you think they've gotten better, you're kidding yourself. Drastically worse. I really feel like the numbers are going in the wrong direction. And some may chop it up and go, well, Pete, this isn't the Bible. This is the great falling away. I don't, I don't, I, I'm not ready to quit. I, I'm not taking the Noah's Ark approach. Noah's ark was, he was safe in his ark. He didn't care about anybody else. And this is what's happening in the church. It's like, I got my seat. I'm good to go. But what we're seeing right now is that the world and those who are professing Christians are rapidly detaching themselves from their faith. And the saddest part is it doesn't have to be this way. And I'm convinced that when churches are struggling, it's not because the world is being the world and sin is running rampant and people are lying and stealing and cussing and doing all the things in between. No, the, the church isn't falling apart because with the, what's taking place in the White House or in Congress, Senate. The, world, the church isn't falling apart because who the governors or mayors are. The world's not falling apart because more bars are popping up and alcohol sales are on the rise. Prescription medications shooting through the roof and drug epidemics are going crazy. The world will always be the world. No, the churches are dying because of what's happening on the inside, not the outside. What's happening on the inside is what's killing the modern church. It's not the world. You want to see a nasty world, you should have looked at the early church in Rome. They were actually worse than we are. We're talking about lost languages, and one of the lost languages that seem to be lost is the value of my seat. This isn't a condemnation message or somebody missing church. Listen, we all take vacations, and that's beautiful. There's moments in our lives that we get sick or under the weather. That's, that's life. Some of us have to work every once in a while on a Sunday, and that's okay. It's, that's where we are in society. And I'm not talking about the extenuating circumstances that take place. I'm talking about the other reasons. This is a message that's somewhat hard to speak because I'm afraid that some people go, you're just being religious. You're trying to put us back under the law. So here we are today. My job is not to condemn or to, con or to bring shame to anybody at all. Please hear my heart. That's not my role. My role is just to speak. And so you can ask Linda. I told her about a month ago where this whole series was going, and this message wasn't on there. 
And I'm so happy that our numbers are a lot better today than they have been. So everyone, everyone can feel good. Like I'm not doing a rant. But if these words hurt and they sting a little bit, maybe it's time that we take a look at our life decisions and what we value instead of pointing the finger and saying it's religion. I can look at this audience and see God's faithfulness. I remember passionate worshipers, and they're still here today. I remember miracles taking place from people in comas coming back to Matt shooting himself and still being alive. Both of those things, actually. Both of those were Matt. Hey, Candace, we're going to update your insurance policy at the end of the service. Add a girl. But here's what I'm watching in our world today is this, is that there is once a passionate individual that God was moving rapidly in and they couldn't be held back to be at the doors of the church and now they're nowhere to be found. The amount of calls and texts I got from people demanding that we open our doors during COVID was unbelievable. And not a single person was there. Because it's a lot easier to say something than to do something. Every Sunday for me is a dinner table Sunday. And I play the piano and preach and I get to watch and say their seat speaks their seat speaks and it's crazy because sometimes your seat speaks last week Brian and Kamisha's seat spoke you know what it was God's faithfulness gave him a promotion he was able to take a vacation I was happy about that seat but then some seats don't speak the same way Many of the seats are crying out because churches are in great need of revival. Many Christians are in desperate need of revival. I believe that faith in America is probably at one of its lowest times in the hearts of the men and women that profess to be believers. Maybe it's the events and the circumstances over the past few years that they've caused more damage but I'm convinced that what's taken place globally around the world honestly just got people out of a habit. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that so many people aren't coming back. Because it's so easy to be home in your PJs and to think good thoughts about God than to put clothes on and drive and worship Him with other people. Psalms 58, 85, well, dyslexia. Psalms 85, 6 says this, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? The problem with empty seats in church houses around the world is that people need a revival. And we've got to awaken back to spiritual things and have a zeal for God's word yet again. Can I be very, very candid? The downfall of the American church 
hasn't been the world. The downfall of the American church, this is going to be rough, has become that life has been too easy. There's a saying that says, difficult times make hard men. Hard men make good times. Good times make soft men. Soft men make hard times. And I'm looking at what's taken place in the world, and I've wondered, is the fact that we're not so desperate for God in our churches anymore because we just don't need Him anymore? And if our church structure is now, we've sing three songs and do a doxicology, then I get up and I share a proverb a day and a poem. And everybody, okay, cool. Is there really that much desperation any longer for the things of God? Because if we watered God down to this idea that I can just... Yeah, that I feel like a lot of times the churches have watered God and the relationship with the church down to a rotary club. Nothing wrong with a rotary club. Civitans, good things. But there used to be a day that the church has gathered together in an expectation and desperation for a move of God. In other words, they were looking for something that was bigger than they could control. There was a moment in the church world that they would gather together in worship and in anticipation because what they were currently going through wasn't enough and they needed a touch from the eternal God on this earth. They used to go in and they used to worship and they used to pray and seek His face because without His word in their life, they knew they were going to die. Some of the greatest revivals in the entire history of America and in the entire history of Europe were in the worst moments in history. When you look at the black plague that took across uh, the, 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 the continent of Europe, church attendance and church revival was on an all-time high because they were desperate for God to do something. And unfortunately, hear me out, I'm not saying God's doing anything crazy, but you look back at the Old Testament, a lot of times there's a lot of issues that go on when Israel gets so comfortable with God that they don't need Him any longer. God goes, okay, go ahead. And I, I'm concerned that our nation is finding itself in that same spot. It's not because God is wanting to punish but God also understands if you don't want my hand of protection, you don't have to have it. And this is my concern. And you read this, especially in the Old Testament, over and over. We're in a new covenant. Read in the New Testament. Rome was there. That wasn't good times. No, because God understands the relationship with his sons and daughters. Not too long ago, um, my cat decided that it was big and bad. And I opened the back door to come inside, and she took that as an opportunity to run outside. Anybody experienced that with an animal? And then you chase them, and you hunt them, and you run them down. Yeah, not me. 
She ran outside, and I went, all right, and I closed the door. Bye, Felicia. Go ahead. I know that automatic water fountain you've got at your house is rough. And the automatic food dispenser, whenever you get hungry, is right there. It's tough. Living in air conditioning for you is rough. So go on outside. See what happens. You know what happened? Five minutes. She came shooting back in. She hadn't ran out since. Why? Because she realized outside of my protection, life is no fun. I didn't punish her. I gave her what she wanted. And when we stop serving God as our Lord and Savior, and he's just our good luck charm, he'll give you what you want. Psalm 119.37 says, Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. The word revive means to quicken, to be made alive, again, to restore. You can't be revived if you've never been alive. This is speaking to people who were once there and have fallen away. This implies that we are looking at worthless things and we're attached to the world and smitten with the world and we've become spiritually dead. The psalmist says, keep me from looking at all of that. Revive me, O God, and what's important. Revive me in the truth. Revive me in the will. Revive me in your worship and revive me in your way. And here's the thing about God's revival. You can't have both ways. You can't look at God and go, I'm so desperate for you, O God, as long as I can keep everything that I want. God is not spiritual A1 steak sauce. He's not this piece of add-on into your current life. And you go, you know what would be great right here? A dab of Jesus. Just a dash. That'd be great. Because I really truly want to have my own life and, and live my best life and do my thing and to feel good. And then I want to come into church and feel your presence that you approve of all my stuff. And see, this is what we do. Too many times, Pete included, is that I go and I feel the tingles, the goosebumps, whatever it may be, and I go, God's here. He must approve of where I've been. Because if he didn't like me, he wouldn't show up. Can I tell you, God will show up whether he likes your life or he doesn't like your life. Because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. But the problem that we're going into it is that we've changed our glasses and we've forgotten the idea is just because he showed up doesn't mean he's okay with where we've been. One of the biggest reasons that our churches are empty these days is that people just aren't interested anymore. At one time, they were $2,000 seats, and now they're $20 seats. Because our priorities have changed. Psalm 119 is a doxicology. It's a singing of psalms. It's a praise. It's a song to who God is. He's asking God to please turn my appetite away from the worldly pleasures. And that's exactly what every single person needs to do today. <clears throat> because what we've begun doing is the exact opposite of Matthew three of Matthew six thirty three. Matthew six thirty three says, Seek ye first and then these things. We seek these things and hope he's there last. 
Because as Americans as a whole, we are a pleasure-mad-seeking society. And Sunday used to be the Lord's Day, now it's Fun Day Sunday. And for some, a Sunday is just like every other day. It's just an extra weekend day. And what's crazy is that back in the day, y'all can uh, remember this, is that you used to do uh, Sunday school, then worship, then the message, you ran home and got lunch, took a two-hour nap, came back for Sunday night service. Y'all know Sunday was the Lord's Day, and you got a nap whenever he broke away. That's what church used to be, and now it's, eh, eh. And it's not, here's the craziest thing. <laughs> back in the day, we could just say, I wasn't making it a church, and it is what it is. Listen, y'all. Facebook and Instagram lies. It tells the truth. I see what you're doing on Saturday night. I just couldn't make it. I was tired. You weren't tired two and a half hours ago, no. Well, I got home at 6, you know, 4 a.m. Why? The concert was nuts. Yeah, we, we value things. Our price of com comfort has cost us our seats. And the sad part is, is that we're willing to pay it over and over and over again. Your seat has a voice and it screams out that last night's party was more important than today's experience with God. It tells us that Pete would much rather watch football all day on Saturday and then do his home chores on Sunday because football is my God. And I will give it its day. And get no love in this house today. I knew it. I knew it was coming. And what's funny is that everybody who does come, who has Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is, knows why your seat's empty. Your seat speaks. You know what it spoke? Whatever they were doing is more important than being in God's presence. Pete, I would never say that. God is the most important thing to me. Talk is cheap. It is. On Acts 20, verse 7, Acts 2, verse 42, we see that the priority of the church was to gather together. In Hebrews 10, it tells us to consider one another and stir up who we are. How are you going to stir up each other if you don't get around each other? Don't forsake the assembling of the saints as the manner of some. This ain't a new thing, y'all. But exhort one another in the most holy faith. I sent them a text. I liked their page. It was a great photo. I put a heart on it. I exhorted them. Guys, we don't come together just to be exhorted. But we should be bringers to exhort. I have just as much responsibility to the person sitting next to you, as you do. Isn't that crazy? People have thought we have professionalized the, the role of a pastor. This role is to lead the sheep. But you know what's crazy about sheep? Most of the time, sheep encourage other sheep to be a part of the flock. 
they go together. They're what we call herd animals. The herd goes. The herd stays. Every once in a while, you have a wayward sheep, but by and large, the sheep just stick together. And I feel like what's happened in the church world is that we've stopped becoming herd animals and have isolated ourselves. And when we isolate ourselves, we wonder why the, the predators are surrounding us. Because there's power in numbers. I can have a better view of my Alabama game from my couch. It's not the same experience as sitting in the stands. You can stay home. And on Tuesday, you can listen to my message anytime you want. It's not the same as being in his presence face to face. It's not the same because I'll tell you one of the biggest reasons is, is as you walk in, you don't get the Ken Smiths in your car. I don't care what, I have no idea if Ken ever has a bad day. Because all I know is every Sunday he walks in, I feel like a million. I could have the worst day. He comes in, he gives me the hardest handshake. Like, I got to hit the gym. He constantly reminds me that I'm still not a man. <clears throat> he built that Lincoln log thing for my parents' house, for my parents' uh, retirement. And I went, I downloaded an app. Like, I'm not a man. But when you walk in and you meet a kin and he shakes your hand or gives you a hug, you feel his happiness and you feel his joy. You don't get the, the conversations with a Miss Elaine or a Mr. Horn. You don't get those moments when you're sitting at home watching on Facebook. You can hear an EJ singing on Facebook. But after service or when we get a coffee break or whatever it is, you don't get an EJ hug unless you're here in person because being around each other edifies. The amount of times I've had the worst days or worst weeks and I've come here and one of you, unknowing what's going on, said something or did something or, 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 or whatever it was, and I'm like, you know what, that's just amazing because when you forsake the assembly, you stay in your mess. When you forsake the gathering, you stay in the mud that you are always in. And that's the big thing that the enemy wants. Is he wants to keep you stuck. And God always is trying to say, come back in. I'm going to get you unstuck, clean you up, and get you where you need to go. Because not every time is a sin issue. It's a stuck issue. And I feel like what's happening in the church world right now is that people are just stuck. But the sad part is, you can only be stuck for so long before you fall into sin. All right. What's crazy is on September 3rd, when I take my kids to a football game, you can send me a text. You can call me. You can ask me to come to the boat rides, go to a theme park, you can cook me filet mignon or buffalo steaks. And you know what I'm going to say? But I have plans. Why? Because spending time with my kids is my priority. The second strongest words outside of the blood of Jesus is the word no. Because when I say no, I'm saying yes to something else. We've forgotten the word no. 
we have overfilled ourselves with everything else because we don't have priorities anymore. Everything is just equal. And when things take place, by saying no, I'm letting everyone else know where my priorities are. I'm saying no to lunch with you because I'm saying yes to this. I made plans with my mom for dinner, lunch. I think dad's coming. I don't know. Um, and I love everybody in this room. But when you come and you say, hey, you want to have lunch with us? I'm saying no because I put a priority on having dinner or lunch with my family. Nothing against you. I just set a priority already. And what we have to realize in our lives when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our decisions is where are our priorities? What has the highest seat in our life? And what doesn't have the highest seat in our lives? Because can I tell you, to be honest, I feel like what everybody has done is they've elevated and kept everything on the same playing field. And that's an unbalanced life. Because there are some things in your life that should be more important than others. Can I tell you just real quick? I mean, this is an easy example, right? If your kid has gotten beat up at school, has been bullied and picked on in their life, they come home with a bloody nose and a black eye, and they're limping, and it's obvious their clothes are torn up, and they go, Dad, can we talk? And you go, you know what, man, I would love to, but my show is about to start, and I really want to watch this. I think everybody in this room would go, you're a failure as a father. Because you picked a show over your hurting child. Why? What we're doing is we're picking priorities. Where's your priorities today? What's happening in our world where we have everything on the same page? It's our bigger yes that we're going through right now. New life's not a business. It's not some marketing scheme. It's not a mega organization built around members and budgets and beautiful campuses. And we have plenty of buildings. We have all the wonderful things. But that's not what we're about. We're about people. Where are the 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14? We care about who you are. And today we've got some seats, real quick. We've got a really nice seat. And sometimes our seats speak. They speak of, the, of our priorities. They speak of our choices. They, they speak of the decisions that we've made to say yes or to no to something else. And our seat sits here pristine and beautiful and no one's in it. That's fine. Do we have other seats here too? This is a, a worn out seat. And today we've got people that are missing. Their seats are empty. Not because they don't care, but because they've been worn out. The past two years have been hard on so many people. Truly has. They got out of a habit. They couldn't make it anymore. Whatever is going on, fear has taken a hold. Whatever has happened, and they're, and they're here, and, and they're worn out. And I guess my question is, is that at what point do our brothers and sisters call the people who are in this spot to go, how can we help you restore? The Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another that we may be restored. And it's not just about sin that restores, but about our connection with each other that restores. And what happens in our church is that when we stop and we care, and they're sitting there going, I've been gone and no one cares. And yeah, Pete sends me a text or Pete calls me because that's his job. And it's not. I care. 
but they always see me as the boss man of, of, of the, you know, the pastoral role. But it's different when a Bob calls than when a Pete calls. It's different when a Candace goes, hey, I haven't seen you. How, how's life? What's going on? How do you bring them back in to restore them back to their original intent? Not every empty seat is empty because of bad reasons. Sometimes they're hurting emotionally. Sometimes they're hurting spiritually. Sometimes they don't even know how to get back into a seat again. You've got to look. What's going on? The other seat here, this one's broken. Mom said, do not sit in this seat. That's what she told me. Because this seat is broken. And there's people in our churches right now, their seats are empty because they are physically unable to make it to church. Sometimes it's because their cars are broken down and they would love to have a ride, but they just don't. Sometimes it's because they have physical ailments and they just can't make it. They can't get there. And you know what they would love? They would love somebody to call and say, hey, I know you can't make it, but you were missed. They would love somebody to swing by on a Tuesday with a casserole or a, or, or a thing of food just to show that you still love them. See, not every seat that's empty is because it's a bad thing. But right now, we're going to get ready to close. And everyone looking around, look around. Look. You got seats. And some of those seats have names, and you know the names. Who's going to care for them? Who's going to encourage those who have lost the way to come back home? Who's going to call and be like, I still believe in you. It's time to come back. Who's going to do that? Because the worst thing for me, to be honest, as a pastor, is when a seat changes a name. That's heartbreaking to go from, well, that was Matt's seat, and now it's John's. Who's going to reach out to people who are just lost in life? Who are you going to call this week? Today, tomorrow, we missed you at church. I know you're on vacation, or I know you were sick, or you're tired, or whatever it is, but we miss you. Come back. We need you. Can I tell you, every single person that's not in our church seat right now is a piece of us that's missing. It's a gift that is missing. It's a talent that is missing. It's a calling that is missing. It's an anointing that is missing. It's the equivalent of your body missing a finger or a toe, you would know if you're missing a part. And here's where we are today. There's seats around you are speaking out. Some seats have never had anybody in them. But they should. Maybe it's time for you to reach out to the person that works out with you, the person at the gym. Maybe it's their coworker or the family member. And you go, I've got a seat just for you. I know exactly where they would fit. I know that being at church is exactly what they need because it changed my life. It'll change their lives. Some empty seats need a name. And I believe that the people in this room already have a name in mind to fill said seats. Some come home. Some need healing. And some just need to be cared for. But no matter what, your seat speaks, as does theirs.
Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you that as we are here, let not heaviness slow us down, but let the weight of today's conversation motivate us to push harder. Let us with grace and mercy and love reach out to these empty voices and bring them home. God, I think that we're going to begin to have divine connections and opportunities that we act on. Whether we plan them or you, you orchestrate them, God, I think that this week conversations take place for people to love them back into the house. To love them back into their seat that they belonged in. Their seat still speaks for them. For those who are hurting emotionally and mentally, God, I ask for that you, you begin to speak uh, names and caring for people in our, in our congregation today, God, that they can be called and loved and cared for and spoken to and encouraged and edified. And those, unfortunately, who are physically unable and who are watching online that we love so greatly that we begin to reach out and call and care. Father, I just thank you that we as a church are unified in caring for our family. That we as a family body, God, connect and share in the burden of loving each other. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. Love you guys. You guys know the mission. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.